Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, our weekly podcast about the Swift programming language and other projects at Swift.org. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Smart. And today we're going to talk about a uh, proposal that was accepted and implemented in Swift 4.1 that uh, we never really discussed too much. Uh, it's the Restrict Cross-Module Struct Initializers proposal uh, that Jordan Rose authored. It's a uh, proposal uh, 189. So the general idea here is that, um, uh, well, currently uh, in Swift, you can actually add initializers to a struct outside of that module, which is fine. Similar to classes, you can do that. But with a class, uh, it must be a convenience initializer and marked as such. So you'd have convenience in it, and then you must call a designated initializer uh, on that class before you do anything else in that init. And if it's a subclass, then uh, you have to initialize you know, your own properties first if you've added them, and then call super, etc. Right, and unlike Objective-C, um, designated initializers for classes in Swift don't have to be marked with a designated initializer keyword. It's more that any init that is not a convenience init, whether it's a required init or just a plain init, uh, is a designated initializer, right? Right, right. So it's like, yeah, it's an implicit thing. There's no keyword uh, to say like designated init. Yeah. And it's really, all of this came out of kind of the conventions in Objective-C, uh, right? But Objective-C could never really enforce these like strict initialization flows, uh, which led, you know, it's a super error-prone thing. Lots of people could would easily get this wrong because Objective-C was so so lenient. So Swift really enforces this. And I think a lot of people have been kind of like frustrated with initialization flows in Swift, but I think it's a fair trade-off to have like these proper flows. It seems, looking at the implementation briefly now, that uh, from the convenience in it, you don't um, necessarily have to call self in it. You can also assign to self. So if there's um, any other way to create that type, you can you can just assign it to self from that convenience in it. Yeah. So so back to the uh, the structs issue. Um, so structs don't really have this concept of convenience and designated initializers. Um, but the difference here is that with a struct, you can actually uh, let's say you have a struct. It has you know three public properties or something. You can write your own initializer outside of the module in which that struct is defined and then initialize all those public properties and there you go you have like your own custom designated initializer uh, outside of that module uh, but this is a major problem uh, for ABI stability and source compatibility because if the library author changes that struct uh, your code will break uh, if they have um, if the struct has, uh, let's say, some private properties, let's say they have uh, default values, and so the initializer that you write outside of this module is still valid because you're, you know, all the properties are still initialized, so it meets all of the initialization requirements. 
and you can initialize those public properties. But if that library author changes those private properties to either add additional ones, remove them, um, change their types, or remove the default values, then the next version of that library is going to break these clients unknowingly because the layout of the struct has changed, or in the case of not providing default values, then now they they can't initialize that struct. Uh, they can't meet all of the initialization requirements because they can't initialize that private property outside of the module because it's not visible. So it seems like a kind of an edge case, actually, and I've never run into this issue myself. Yeah, and from just observing the source compatibility suite, I haven't seen any projects in there that were marked as failed when this landed. Um, and so it seems unlikely that any of the 40-plus projects that are in the compatibility suite even did this, yeah. uh, or any of their dependencies, which quickly expands to like over 100 projects. Um, so this doesn't seem to affect too many people. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think, uh, I mean... Uh, it, it seems rare that someone would do this to me. You know, structs are so lightweight. They're, they're just these lightweight value types. And I, I feel like people rarely think to add custom initializers to them um, if you don't own them, if they're coming from some client library. It's, whereas with classes, I see lots of reasons to add convenience initializers for this or that. And maybe just because that's more formalized, People think about adding convenience initializers to classes, but not to structs. But this brings structs more in line. Uh, this proposal brings structs more in line with the way classes uh, behave. So the proposal, uh, so the changes um, that are proposed are to require that clients call self.init in their initializer if they add one uh, to a struct outside of the module. Yeah, so this is the behavior of convenience inits for classes without the keyword convenience. Yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah, which then begs the question, why do we have the convenience keyword at all? Yeah, uh, oh, maybe just call those cases out explicitly so you know that they're not designated. Um, there's definitely a doc on this somewhere, but it's about the initialization flow like having because convenience initializers must they're required to call a designated initializer otherwise they must you know initialize every property individually that's a good question i guess the convenience keyword could be omitted i i, I don't know it it formalizes the entire concept of these initialization flows but yeah, I guess all I'm saying is um, it seems odd to enforce the same behavior here for struct initializers um, while emitting the keyword, right? Why is I it see. okay to emit it for structs, but it's still needed for classes, right? Right. It seems like there might be a consistency mismatch there. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, and that's actually, that's always existed. That is something that's bothered me, actually, because you can't really define the same initialization patterns on structs, which yeah. I've tried to do. Like I will, 
usually I'll write a struct in a way that you have like a designated init and then convenience initializers, just like I would for a class, but there's no kind of enforcement. Right. Yeah. I think that would be nice to add, actually. One situation in which I can see um, uh, SE189, this change here impacting users is if you're within your module, if you're using uh, the auto-synthesized member-wise initializer, mm-hmm. um, which is only ever internal, um, then if you're consuming that module and you want to initialize uh, one, then you, you don't have an initializer for it that's visible outside the module. Right. So you might create one. And that's when uh, you wouldn't be able to do that with SE189. Right. Yeah, and this is, uh, well, you'd have to, hmm, if there's no initializer provided, that's a good question, actually, because if the struct does not define an initializer, so it gets the default internal member-wise one, then if you add an initializer outside of the module, can you call I guess you wouldn't the, be able to call self init. Yeah, it wouldn't be visible. Uh, but that's what I'm saying is prior to 189, uh, you'd be able to write um, that initializer and assign all the fields yourself within the initializer. Right. Uh, whereas now with this change, you won't have any avenues other than explicitly writing out a public uh, initializer in the module itself. Right. Right. Uh, but even then, previously, you still have this problem of if there are private members you don't know about, and then all kinds of problems right. arise from that. It would be nice if there was, and maybe this is a uh, a refactoring uh, extension, mm-hmm. a refactoring action, rather. We've covered those before, where if you're in the body of a struct and you detect that there's no... Um, explicitly written initializer, then you might get uh, a refactoring action to create it. That'd be nice. Um, so Yeah, like auto-generate member-wise in it. But, yeah, but co-gen it, right? Yeah, Rather right. than just have the compiler generate it at compile time. Right, right. right? Like insert it in the source so that we can work around this lack of visibility of the member-wise initializer until, yeah. uh, well, you know, even when... Um, this issue is resolved. Say that a public, all public structs get public member-wise initializers. Right. Um, it might also be useful to just have a refactoring action to to create it in code in the source code, especially mm-hmm. if you want to modify it in any way. Right. So that at least then you get a good starting point. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean that you know all this touches on this other long-standing issue of the member-wise initializers that are internal by default, which has been discussed before on Swift Evolution. And back in the Swift 3 era, so like over a year ago, there was actually a proposal that was deferred um, because it was just too much at the time to change. Uh, But it was uh, a proposal to really rethink all of the struct initializer um, uh, kind of requirements and defaults and make the member-wise init's more useful. 
and it also had, I think it introduced uh, some keywords or some other things where you could kind of customize the member wise in it in a way by marking properties in a certain way. Probably too much to think about at this point, but it would be nice to, if all your properties are public, then your member wise in it is public. Yeah, seems like that would definitely have ABI stability implications, yeah. or at least API resilience implications. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I wonder why it hasn't been uh, brought up again since. Yeah. Or maybe it has, and it quickly died out, so we didn't hear about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should bring that up, because it does seem important. <laughs> it's nice of you to yeah. volunteer. <laughs> yeah, so this proposal, uh, it's interesting because, you know, it, it brings us back to the source compatibility discussion um, and source breaking changes, uh, as well as uh, ABI stability and library evolution. It really, you know, it's a very small kind of change, but it impacts uh, all these areas uh, pretty significantly. And this should be in uh, available in Swift 4.1 now. So we have that beta, uh, Xcode 9.3, and which has Swift 4.1. And so you should see warnings about this. Like we mentioned, I, I doubt many people are actually impacted by this bug, which I guess it's a bug. It's fair to call it a bug. But yeah, you'll see warnings and then it will error in Swift 5. Right. And uh, it seems pretty difficult to write uh, a migration path for this, for the automatic um, Swift migrator, because you can write arbitrary code in that initializer, right? Um, so you can't just easily replace it with uh, with the self init uh, version, mm-hmm. and the that member wise initializer might not exist as well, right? Like you might not have written it, and it might not be accessible to you, right? Um, so it it seems possible to write a migration helper for like maybe a set of very simple cases, but definitely not all. Yeah, and Ted mentions this in the uh, acceptance post on the forums. Sounds like the the team is going to kind of assess the impact over the course of Swift 4.1, the release, and how people respond. And uh, if it is, if it does have a big impact, uh, and they have strong feedback about the change, then uh, they'll kind of reevaluate how to proceed. That's all we have for today. Uh, Thanks for listening. You can find the show on Twitter at Swift underscore Unwrapped. You can find me at Twitter at SimJP. You can find me on Twitter uh, at Jesse underscore Squires. And if you want to chat about the show, uh, you can find us on Spectrum.chat. And if you have a minute to leave us a review on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate that. Thanks for listening.